So we're going to talk about God, and Jesus, and life on earth, and life in heaven, everything. Um, you know, we gather together. We, we, what I'm doing in these weeks is I started last week following up from David Shadbold's visit, looking at Ephesians 5, where we're told to put on the full armor of God. And it's, it's such a um, non-intuitive thing for us. It's so much, so much of us is wedded in uh, the limitations of what we can see and feel and taste. And, and for many, it's just feeling. That's it. That's almost like God. Feeling is true. That's it. And there's an element of learning how to live on earth from a perspective of heaven, and that even sounds crazy. And so when God came in Jesus, he, he, he presented to us what it looks like, what it looks like for a human being filled with his spirit to live on earth in one of the most brutal, under the, one of the most brutal regimes the world has ever known. Um, Canada is a kind of cakewalk compared to the Roman Empire, if you weren't Roman. And God showed how in the midst of that oppression, he can actually plant and release a movement unlike which the world has ever seen. And he can do it with a man who really doesn't have that greater education. And because Jesus became man, he didn't live as a, as a pe peasant in Nazareth knowing all the things that God knows. He was a peasant in Galilee filled with God's spirit. People sometimes say, well, if Jesus was here, he would. He wouldn't. He would be as limited as you and I are because he laid down the ability to know what God knows when he became human. He became a human with incredible frailties, incredible limitations. And the one thing that he demonstrated was my life and the meaning of my life is about trusting God, my Father, who I know loves me. It's no... It's no um, we have a huge metaphor in the human physical life. You're born weak and miserable and crying and dependent and you die if you live a lengthy life, weak and miserable and dependent. There's an element of this, this body that you grow into and you strut around and you think, oh, I'm beautiful and I'm strong. And by the time you're 50 or 60, it's starting to ebb away because the physical stuff doesn't last. And God is kind of saying, you know what should be happening is that as you're getting older, your spirit should be stronger and stronger and stronger. And so the body becomes, yeah, it's a, ca a caravan. So the people who were the oldest in this, in this body should have a spiritual authority and a spiritual wisdom that is mind-blowing. But we failed each other, so it's sort of, no, as the body fails, so I fail. And I become, to, I, I become restricted by my body and by my feelings and by my emotions. And then I, then I live this incredible life of survival so that, oh, I, I can't wait to get to heaven which is the biggest cop-out and the biggest tragedy in the world because if that's our mentality, this was a waste of time. And we live in a culture of victims. We live in a f culture of blame. We live in a culture that is what I'm calling today earthbound. And I'm not speaking to blame. I'm really actually saying we have good news way beyond what we've even received because we think it's unbelievable. But Christianity is unbelievable. And if, you know, I need to keep on reminding myself the basis of Christianity is God created the world and he just spoke and it came into being. And he was this massive creator. He also sent his son into the world through a virgin. His son grew up and he began to heal and set people free and had an impact on the world of his day that was remarkable. But the people in that world of his day were threatened by him because he challenged their authority and their paradigms and their way of doing things. So they killed him on a cross, and they said, now that's been done. We've had lots more other upstarts like him. He's another one. Let's, we, we know how to deal with them. Except this one rose from the dead, unbelievably, on the third day. 
And that's why the emblem of the Christian church is a cross, a place of crucifixion, a place of great brutality. There's more to life than the Romans. There's more to life than my body. There's more to life than the physical. I sense it in this body because a lot of the things that get me down are not physical. They're emotional and and, and I, I get depressed or I get discouraged or I get apprehensive or I'm looking for love. And all of the things that seem to cause me to want to do things are the things that don't have physical expression. Even if I'm not Christian, even if I'm not spiritual, I'm still chasing after something that actually falls under the heading of the spiritual. I want security. I want love. I want peace. I want joy. I want to feel I have a purpose. I want to belong. All of those things have a spiritual root because we are actually created as human beings to house a spirit. And the spirit is the thing that is eternal. But it feels so foreign to us because we feel so real. So you come to worship. And one day you come and you go, way, yeah, yeah. But maybe you never come like that. Maybe you come, I wish they wouldn't be so emotional. I hate this stuff. You know, I don't mind John. I mean, I can take him in little... But the, this, this emotion... That's why I come late. I hope I miss most of it. Now, if you do that, that's just your body saying, I'm in charge, and your spirit actually is saying, I don't know what to do with it. I'm taking for granted, you see, that the church is a mess. So I'm not apologizing for the mistakes and the mess of the church and for the people who irritate you because you're just as irritating. So I'm accepting the fact that we're all a piece of work. And if you don't, well, go to a church that you like then. Good luck. Good luck. But if you go, you'll ruin it. Because you'll be there. So get over yourself. You're here to be made whole, not to be entertained. You're here to be made complete, not to be made to feel comfortable all the time. Because for God's sake, if you're comfortable with where you are, you're dead. You need to be changed, brothers and sisters. So do I. (laughs) So, you know, chill out. Chill out. It's about growing together. Our spirits are very immature. And our bodies rule so much of the time. That's why you have to learn how to say, body, you're going to stand up and you're going to worship God. You can't see him, but my spirit can see him. So you get life because it's not giving me much life right now. So I'm dragging you by my spirit up into worship. You you call your body to submit. For some of us, our body has not submitted ever since we were born. And so we say, our body says, no, we're shy, remember? Oh, yeah, we're shy. We don't do that. We're introverted. We're, we're wounded. We're victims. Yes. We, so our body tells us what it can and cannot do. I'm joking a little bit here, right? Don't get so... But I've got your number, haven't I? And you've got to learn how to tell the difference between your body and your spirit. And your spirit is very often very, very weak. That's why we need one another. Oh, I didn't know I could do that. Well, I'm shy. I'm not that shy. God loves me. Well, that was all off script, but it's just as well because I've only got half a script this morning. So, Paul says in Ephesians... Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, he opens with that and he says, everybody in this room, everyone is in a battle zone between good and evil. It's a spiritual battle manifest in the physical. Whether you and I get it or not is irrelevant. Now, the danger of this word is I spend all my time trying to duke it out with the principalities and powers, which is is all the negative. The good news is Jesus has already duked it out and won. But he's a poor loser, and so in the mopping up operation, he keeps saying, no, I've really won, and look, you can experience it because I got you. You're addicted. You're this, you're that, you're the other thing. 
So you go, yeah, must be right, because I am addicted and I am a fool and I don't amount to much, so I guess this doesn't amount to much either. So you've fed the lie and you have to learn how to say, no, that is a lie and step into the truth. Now, the, 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 how God intends it is that we, grown up, we grow up in, in, in beautiful families of mothers and fathers who love Jesus and say, Jesus loves you, and that you grow up having that modeled. But that went all out the window a long time ago. So now we grow up in, in places where there's so little modeling of something that God would call his kingdom that we have to f- help each other. This is a long topic. How you live from the Spirit. So imagine, I wish I could do a sort of great act here of have a Paul character sort of shuffle in with chains on and I interview him. Um, let me try and put it this way. Most of you haven't gone to the army. You don't know what it's like to get called up and you're going tomorrow. It's not fun. Um, but you've just all been called up. You're going to go and fight. You're going to go and fight in uh, the Middle East. You're going to go and fight in ISIS, and you're going tomorrow. Would you want somebody who's been there to come and talk to you about that? Would you want somebody who's been there to say, look, this is what you can expect? Would you want somebody to be there to tell you what kind of things, what, what, what enhance the chance of your survival? Or what are the things you don't do? Like the British, when they went to South Africa and fought in the Boer War, you know, we thought they were intelligent, but the British turn up, and I'm British, so suck it up, British. Um, they turn up and they march into the war in bright red uniform. And anybody fighting them says, you can see the target from a mile away. They're idiots. They lost the war. They eventually learned that they shouldn't wear bright colors <laughs> in Africa. You don't turn up for war. That's why you wear camouflage gear. And the camouflage gear changes depending on the environment. You learn a few things about your enemy. So... It's interesting, you go on holiday and you prepare and you find out where you're going and you might find out things you want to do. You go to another country, you find out how they eat and where you want to go and see. The only thing that you actually don't get any preparation for and you resist like anything is preparation for life. And Paul says, when you live this life, there are two realms. A lot of people are living in one realm. It's called the down-to-earth realm. And they think this is the be-all and end-all of life. And so they try very hard to live this life from 10 feet down. And the way you live this life, you see this world and this life from 10 feet down is actually under enemy occupation. It's a prison camp. You're born into prisonhood. You're born as a prisoner. You live as a prisoner and you die as a prisoner. Many, many people do. Or it's a slave camp, whichever one you want. God helps those who help themselves. It's a lie. God certainly helps those who, who, who participate. But it's not an earned merit system. So on 10, 10 foot down, it's, it's whatever you think is true. We talked about truth last week. Ten foot down, it's do the best you can. Ten foot down is, is uh, you know, you put your effort to it and you make sure that you get what you need so that you can be secure and you can control your life. Ten foot down is riddled through with selfishness and insecurity. Dog eats dog. Every problem we have in this world right now, you can attribute to selfishness, self-centeredness, greed, corruption. So if I were God and I said, you bring it on, you start blaming me for all your troubles, you could have food for everybody, you could have peace on earth, logistically. But the issue is your spirit, your heart. And because you think this is heaven, this is the ultimate on earth, you are fighting each other out to get a little bit of heaven for 20 years and then you're going to die anyway. You have got totally lost as a people because evil has actually led you by the nose and you need a savior. What happened? It's up on our wall. We pray, cry out, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is heaven. God says yes. He sends his son. And to have his will done on earth means his son's going to get killed by the people he's trying to save. Because the principalities and powers are not going down without a fight. And they know, because they see in Jesus, this guy is different. And when Jesus comes, they have to be cast out of the, the, 
people that they inhabit because spirits need people to inhabit. So the spirit world needs to be manifest through you or me because they cannot have an existence outside of that. And their voices sound like us inside us. They're so familiar to us. And Jesus lays down his life and rises again. And God says, I'm answering that cry. Because as I went to the cross, I broke the back of evil once and for all. And I said, I've come to set my people free. And then he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. The words that Jesus spoke at the beginning of his unique life were then released over all humanity. The spirit of the Lord is upon you. You go, you go through the cross. You cannot have the spirit of the Lord upon you without the cross. You can, the spirit of the Lord will be upon you to lead you to the cross. But you have to go to the cross to have your sin forgiven. And when your sin is forgiven, God's spirit can give you a new heart and a new spirit. And receiving the reality of what that means is what our life is about for the rest of our lives. And I'll illustrate this. And this is what Paul's talking about. I'm trying to set this big picture of the spirit realm, which feels so unbelievable. Just be encouraged with the unbelievable. I mean, there are lots of examples. This is an example. But, I mean, this is the greatest example. Imagine you were walking around 200 years, 300 years ago, or any time before that. And you pick this thing up, and you take a picture of somebody, and one other person has it in the room, and I send them the picture, and everybody else says, that's magic. How on earth do you do that? How on earth do you speak to somebody? How on earth do you take pictures and hold them in a little box like this? How can this thing play music? Everything that we take is totally for granted. 200 years ago and all before in humanity would be absolutely impossible. 200 years ago is not a long time to say people will fly in the air around the world. They will communicate to each other. They will see pictures and talk to each other around the world. Not even 200 years ago. Unbelievable. And we don't even know how this stuff works, most of us. We live in unbelievable And if we who are evil know how to do this stuff, how much more is God able? So celebrate your mind, but don't be restricted to it. I love the phrase that says, let your your heart lead you to places your mind cannot go. You need both. Your heart will give you some things that your mind cannot get to. It might catch up eventually, or it just might say, I don't know. So Paul says in Ephesians, he says, put on the belt of truth. And many, I've heard lots of teachings on this, and the belt of truth is know your Bible, or have a good argument. Or know that Jesus is God. Yes, that is. But ultimately, the belt of truth is a relational one with Jesus. Because the amount you and I can know is so small, it's like the buckle. Or not even that. Maybe it's just one of the holes for the belt to be cinched in. Truth is a relationship with Jesus. And then he says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. You see, Paul comes in, he's walking in here, and he's, a, he's taking my illustration that I interrupted myself on, which going to the Middle East, you're all called up, you're going tomorrow for 6 o'clock, you gather here, all right? Um, what would you take? Problem is, whatever you take in the army, they just say, dump, you're not allowed to bring anything. What would you take? You see, Paul says, having come back from the war or endured the war of imprisonment and knowing what he was capable of on the enemy's side and also on his own side, he, he comes in and he says, um, you guys are involved in a war. I'm, I'm captured, I'm in chains, and I'm about to die. I'm too young to die, but I'm dying for my faith. I'm a soldier for Jesus. I was a soldier for the Jewish faith. In fact, I was a very, very well-qualified soldier. I was one of the best, and I started fighting for them. But one of the things that you see in war is that one of the most important things in war is that the soldiers don't get demoralized, and they believe in what they're fighting for. And as Paul was fighting this battle against Jesus, and he's fighting the, the very first soldiers who followed Jesus, he came up against some who were remarkable. One was called Stephen. And as he came up against Stephen, and Stephen had nothing. He had spoken eloquently about God and Jesus. And the only thing that weak people can do is to kill or to use force. It's a sign of weakness. In many ways, 
the United States, and I'm not against the United States. Oh, I'm, not, I'm not a nationalist, so countries don't matter to me in terms of what I say about them, if you understand what I'm saying. I'm not hitting at them. I'm merely saying it's one of the weakest nations in the world. When, you're, when your prisons are full and you have so much, but it, it's a gift too because it also monitors some other things that need to be monitored, so it's a, it's a tension. But all I'm saying is strength on this, world, on this earth doesn't look like strength around heaven. And Stephen was a man who had nothing physically. And he stood in front of Paul, Saul at the time and he declared who Jesus was. And then he was taken outside the city. This is in Acts. And he basically was stoned to death. And as he was stoned to death, he just said, Father, don't hold this against him. And he looked at Paul, probably, Saul. And Saul must have thought, as a 20, young 20-year-old, 20 there's nobody in my company that would do that, would die like that. It was something compelling about the message, because Paul wasn't stupid, and the life that was laid down. And that soldier who was stoned actually won a battle for one who would set Christianity on fire around the world. And I don't think Saul and Paul ever forgot that. He never forgot the, the roots, the compelling nature. And so he says, put on the full armor of God. And he says, the truth is Jesus. Don't argue about faith. Build relationship with Jesus. Because Jesus will come into your spirit. It's very easy to entertain Jesus and religion in your head. And the rest of your body actually follows another one. That's why you get conflict. In our culture now, it's about, I want to persuade you why to believe in Jesus, but to tell you, talk to you about obedience and submission. No, you'll put everybody else. Nobody will come to church. I'm not really interested in coming to church as rather being the church anyway. But Paul says, put on the full armor. And then he's, truth is one. And then he says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. What is righteousness? Righteousness is what the, the Ten Commandments were about. If you keep all these, you will be righteous. This is the law. Ten Commandments describes who God is. You shall, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. You, you will have no other gods. You will not covet anybody. You will not steal. You will not... I mean, it's terrible. You can't do anything. See, the thing is, it just highlights the human struggle. And the Ten Commandments, I believe, were never given to be kept. They were given to lead us to a Savior. But the Ten Commandments is the law. And everything on the ground, everything in religion, everything that's separated from Jesus who is truth is about how you can earn your way to God, how you can impress him, how he can keep you, uh, how you can be sure that you'll be with him in the end. It's rooted in your effort, in your compliance, your obedience, how many Hail Marys you can say, or whatever. And some of us, you, you probably know this because we all do, which is, well, I, I really screwed up three days ago, but a week later, if I haven't screwed up, I feel a little more holy, like a little better now, until I screw up tomorrow. That's part of the problem. That's part of this living under the law, living under, I've got to try and do it. It's tiring and it's very debilitating. Paul says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. What does that mean? It means what Paul says, because he had to learn it. He was a murderer and a killer. Well, let me, maybe I should just describe, I want to read you a well-known passage. You read them at weddings, 1 Corinthians 13. I want to change it. See, it, it talks about what is love. Now, love is the greatest weapon God has ever given because love can undo you. I'm talking about sacrificial love. I'm talking about powerful love. I'm not talking about sentimental love, which is another thing altogether. And he says that love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy. Now, if you want to know what the enemy is about, if you want to know what it looks like on earth, not in heaven, then you just change the word. Self-love and self-absorption is impatient, it is unkind, it envies, it boasts, it is proud. Self-absorption and self-centeredness dishonors others, it is self-seeking, it is easily angered. It keeps a record of wrongs. Self-centeredness does not uh, does, delights in evil and hates the truth. 
It never protects, it never trusts, it never hopes, it never perseveres, it always fails. How does that sound? Because that is the description of the enemy. That is the description of the one who wants to take you out and steal. And one of the ways it manifests itself, if you belong in a church, is before you've been here two minutes, you start criticizing those around you. You start blaming everybody instead of actually taking responsibility for yourself. If I'm irritating you and it causes irritation to rise up in you, then deal with your irritation. Stop blaming me. And vice versa. God is wanting us to grow up in the spirit. And while when he's saying, put on the blessed of righteousness, what's he saying? He's saying, Jesus went to the cross for your sin. What does that mean? You don't have to. 2 Corinthians 5. You're very quiet. 2 Corinthians 5. Verse 19, I need my glasses. Listen to this from verse 14. Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. Verse 16, he says this. He says, so from now on, if that is true, then he says, so from now on. In other words, now be different. So from now on, regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way. In other words, we looked at Jesus. He was teaching. He was doing things that were amazing. He went to the cross. Good man died. Too bad. Then he rose and went, whoa, he's not just a good man. He is special. He is God. I started looking from a different point of view. Because what Paul is beginning to introduce in Ephesians and he introduces in all his writings is you've got to live two-dimensionally. And so he says, when you look at people, stop taking them at face value. And for goodness sake, stop responding to their behaviors. As the first place, they are responsible. So this is, there's no excuses here, by the way. It's just understand what you're dealing with, both in yourself and within other people. But he says, what's behind this? I've just read Corinthians. Read the whole thing in a negative light. And you start saying, that's the spirit behind things. What's, what's going on here? And so he says, from now on, don't look at people from a world, human point of view. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Going to the end, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What's he saying? Very simply, God did in Jesus what we couldn't do in ourselves. Paul says in Philippians 3, whatever we're, he, he just described himself in terms of the law like we do in terms of qualifications. If someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law of faultless. What would you say? What would you stand up and boast about? All your achievements, all the things you've done, why you should be respected, because I've done this, because I've done that. And Paul says, whatever I count as loss. And the Greek is, I count it as so much bullshit. I'm serious. It does. Crap. But they're too polite to put it in the Bible. But he said, that's what I regard it as. Filth. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. That's the polite word. That I may gain Christ. He ends verse 10. I want to know Christ, yes, to the power and... Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings. That I've, I missed out a piece that I really wanted to say. That I may, be, may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. The breastplate of righteousness is when you go to the army, you line up and they shave your hair and they, they put you in uniform and then they give you some weapons and you don't bring your own. 
And when Paul says to you, put on the armor of God, he's really standing there saying, this is what God the Father thinks you need to survive in this world. You need the belt of truth. You need to know Jesus because he is the one that breaks open paradigms. Because the enemy will attack you on the level of truth. So you have to know your enemy. Your enemy lies. He's the prince of lies. You need to know that lies are not truth. You need to know the difference between truth and lies. I guarantee everyone in this room is crippled by some lies right now. And as you, if you press close to Jesus and you press close to one another in the terms of the community fellowship, those lies will squeeze to the surface and he will reveal them for what they are and you will be set free. You do not know that you are under lies until somebody tells you most of the time. And then he says, on that truth, you buckle the breastplate of righteousness. Why? Because the one thing the, the enemy will attack you on all the time is your identity. Do you think God loves you? I mean, look at you. Look what you do. I mean, look what you watch on TV. Look what your fantasies are about. If everybody knew and put on a screen, you would be so mortified, you would run from this building and never come back. You are a piece of junk. I'm just giving you my imaginative self-talk. It cripples. It absolutely cripples. And for some of us, we have been listening to those tapes, oh goodness me, for as long as we can remember. And you are totally handcuffed to lies. What is the breastplate of righteousness? You come to God's army, you come in through Jesus, and he says, wear this. And you say, what is this? You are much loved by me. But I don't deserve it. That's the lie. No, you don't deserve it. That is also true. But I'm giving you something new to wear because my son paid for it. Everything that causes you to be unrighteous, he took to the cross. So if I ever catch you trying to earn my love again, I'll kill you. But I won't kill you. If I ever try and cause you, have you trying to earn my affections, you're going to be in trouble. See, the truth is, the breastplate of righteousness is, God has my heart and I am loved by him. That's actually the point of this morning. That righteousness, which is being perfect before God, is a gift through Jesus, one for you, and you will never, ever, ever earn it. Even when you think you're looking the most spiritual, he goes, if you only knew. And all of you people together, you think you're looking so spiritual. What did he say to Israel? He said, hey, you stink. Your sacrifices stink because I know your heart. You're trying to please me in this little corner on Sunday morning and the rest of the week. I've got so much to talk to you about. You're so selfish. You're so bigoted. You're so this. You're so that. And if I try and deal with you on a behavioral level, it'll never change. I have to win your heart. So out of my love in you, you begin to be transformed. You begin to see your own stuff and say, I'm sick of this. It works from the inside out, not with condemnation, but with an extraordinary degree of love. And that's why we need to be loving to one another because we look behind the things and say, you're just a wounded puppy. It doesn't mean I'm going to take, you know, you're not going to mess my ground forever while you're a wounded puppy. I'll say, you've got to deal with it. But you look behind and as, Pete, as uh, Stephen stood with so in front of Saul and he, he was stoned for Saul so that Saul could see something, we need to learn how to lay down our lives and love people when it's not convenient. We need to learn how to live out of that righteousness that says, I am a, I'm a receiver of something that I didn't deserve and I want to release it to somebody who doesn't deserve it. We love to have the unconditional love of God poured over us and then conditional love poured out. And that's why the world isn't compelled by our lives. They will be compelled when they send extraordinary grace, extraordinary life, extraordinary sacrifice poured out because we are those who are so grateful for what God has released in us because we live two-dimensionally. Does it make sense? If you want to take the world, if you want to actually make an impact, start living from the Spirit. Start letting God's Spirit impact your spirit. Start allowing Him. But the two things that we're on so far in the weaponry is 
Stay close to Jesus. Build relationship with him. And guard your heart that you are much loved. You are accepted. You are a delight to God the Father. He loves you more than you love your children. He just wants to grow you up a little bit more. He wants you to enter into the fullness of your inheritance. It's like he has this huge Lamborghini in the garage and you're, you're, you know, you're 12, but you've been 12 forever. And he, you kind of stop growing years ago and he says, I just want you to grow so I can give you this, but you won't grow because you don't believe or you're satisfied, so you have the scooter instead. It's too bad because the Lamborghini's cool. And you get to heaven and the Lamborghini's in your, in your room because there's a room for you in heaven. And he says, I was going to release this to you when you were about 25, but you didn't believe. Put on the full armor of God. You're not fighting against principalities and powers. Don't fight principalities and powers. Let Jesus' love live in you. So today, receive the grace of God. Receive his identity as your father. I think that's all I'm going to say. Now, the last thing I want to say, and then I'm going to, we're going to pray for one another, is, you know, I got this picture this morning. God says, I'm so tired of bonsai believers. Bonsai believers, I've never heard of this phrase, but bonsai trees are these little ornamental trees. They like the big trees and they're made into small trees. And bonsai believers would be that kind of thing as well. You know, they're sort of ornamental Christians. They don't have any power. They don't have much use. They just sort of fill up space. So we don't want to be bonsai believers. Oh, I don't want to be. We want to be those who actually make a difference. So... Let's stand and let's pray. And then we can also sort of finish today with a song that's a ministry song uh, that's just saying, God, will you release boldness among us? Will you release an identity that actually causes us to... You have in this armor of God... Uh, you can stay standing. I'll talk for another half hour. Better see, see who lasts longest. Um, you have in this armor of God about, you know, put on the, the, the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. You have the helmet of salvation. The stuff. Do something. It's not all about being passive. It's about... Being, being guarded, and as you know, you've all heard this, you have nothing on the back because you're not meant to run away. You're meant to take ground. So we want to grow in being people who are effective, not only in our own lives, but in the lives of those around us. So let's stand. And, and uh, if you are struggling with your own worthiness, if you are struggling, you know, then I please do us all a favor and stop it. Because people who feel unworthy are incredibly irritating because it goes on and on and on and on and on. And, and it's like you don't get... We are all unworthy. And Jesus went to the cross for every single one. And some of us like to be unworthy because then we think we're being humble. And as long as I'm unworthy, I don't have time to be held responsible. We have very, very interesting conversations. And in the end, we need to say, God, I'm sorry that I don't trust you. I'm sorry that I'm stuck in this place. And so if you're unworthy, Father, just, just give it to God. Just say, I, I, I'm sorry that I... I I don't believe that what you've done on the cross is enough for me. If you have said, Jesus, I ask you to forgive me for my sin. I ask you to, to come into my heart and to make me new. Then he says yes. And on the basis of his promise and his faithfulness, he is present in your heart. And he's like a seed that wants to grow. So he says, I have made you righteous. Now, I don't want you to ever say you're not righteous again. You're not perfect, but you're in right relationship because of what I have done for you. When you're the most sinful you could imagine or when you're the most perfect you can fool yourself into imagining. My love for you does not change. So I want you to boast about your righteousness. Because if you boast about your righteousness and you don't boast about what your accomplishments are, you'll be boasting about what Jesus has done for you. If you start boasting about your accomplishments in order to be recognized or to get status in front of people, you are trusting in yourself. I don't mind you talking about what I'm doing in you, but nothing you do earns anything in the kingdom. 
So Father, I just speak over this body to anyone who's struggling with self-worth and identity and being acceptable. And I just break the lies over you in the name of Jesus. That I can't do it and Jesus can't do it unless you're willing to say amen to that. And I'm just saying you've got to receive it in your spirit. Stop believing the lies. And I call up truth to bear witness to the love of the Father for you. And I speak blessing over you in the name of Jesus. You are a much-loved child. You're a much-loved son. You're a much-loved daughter. We say this often in this place, but we need it often. You are accepted. Live from a place of acceptance. Don't live trying to get to acceptance. That's the way of the world without Jesus. Live from a place of, I am delighted. I am, I am received. I am accepted. God the Father is leading me on an adventure. Live from that place. Not trying to get to that place. He's already done it for you. Come Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, will you touch hearts this morning? Not just minds. Hearts with the conviction of your love and grace. Some of us have been stuck in places for years and years and years. And even this place right now could just go down to your neck and then it stops. And you'll go away and say, well, John spoke fairly well. I wish it hadn't been so long. But da, 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 da. And, it, and it'll be a waste of time. So Holy Spirit, I ask you to go deep into the heart today and just fill us with a sense of your presence, of your goodness, that you have won the battles. I want to speak over anyone who feels like they're fating, facing an insurmountable battle right now. Just give it to God. And for those of you who, who, who make Satan and the principality, if you make them into big powers over your life, kill them right now at the cross. Just, they, they're nothing. They're nothing. I just declare that Satan, you are defeated at the cross of Jesus. You are defeated. You have no power. You have nothing that is of value. We expose you for what you are. In the Old Testament, it talks about somebody seeing Satan. They say, oh, is that all it is? So, Father, we repent where we make him so big. And we just stay close to Jesus, who is the biggest. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Thank you. And I pray that you will release in our vision, the vision of the supernatural, that we will see as you see Jesus, beyond just the, the human, into the supernatural. We're going to sing a song as we finish. It's just a, a song calling up boldness. And uh, if you want prayer, there'll be people to pray. But um, let's just uh, allow God to minister to us as we, as we sing the song together and as we finish.